Podcasting from our secret compound in Silicon Slopes, Utah, overlooking the entire Utah Tech Corridor, this is the Utah CTO Show. Bite-sized interviews with Utah's tech leaders where we dig into the growth of the Utah tech scene, the stories behind some of the greatest local successes, and the secrets to growing tech leadership in Utah. And now, here are your hosts, Chris Jenkins and Brett Flake. Hello, and welcome to the Utah CTO Show. My name is Brett Flake, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris Jenkins. Hey, guys. And today we have Greg Larson of uh, Divi. You're the Senior Vice President of Engineering. Correct. Start out maybe by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in tech. Sure, yeah. So started early on, probably I'd say in high school, dabbling with building websites. I think that's where I kind of first got interested in the world of software development and computer science. A lot of it, what motivated that interest too was uh, I played in like a rock band in high school at the time and every legitimate rock band in high school needs a website. <laughs> yep. And so I was the one, the member of the band to create the website for the band. And so that was way back when I used Dreamweaver or something here and there. And we had like a navigation bar built in Flash. Uh, and that, that's kind of my intro to that. Took like a class or two in high school to work on that. But then funny enough, when I got to college, instead of picking a computer science degree like you'd normally do, I guess, if you had a really strong interest in software development. I decided that instead I wanted to be a rocket scientist. And so I actually started with a major in mechanical and aerospace engineering. I want to be an aerodynamic engineer specialist, really like fast cars and airplanes and things like that. And so started off doing that. And after taking that for, I think, a couple of years, I started to realize when I started getting more in tune with the actual industry and what engineers were doing in that industry that my dreams of designing the next sports car or the next stealth fighter or something like that were pretty far off in terms of like me having a significant role in any of that. <laughs> Not that there's a ton of startups creating stealth aircraft. And what really drew me back to software development was this idea that I could dream of something or think of something cool that I could create. And instead of drawing up plans for years and years and getting them up to code and then submitting to them to a manufacturer to build a prototype in China or something, right? that I could just pull out my laptop, code something up in a weekend, and see something pretty real. Yeah. So that was pretty cool to me. So I, I jumped back into computer science, graduated with a computer science degree, started at Microsoft as an intern between my junior and senior year, which I always give the advice to anyone that's doing any type of degree, really, that if you do an internship, especially in like that last little year or two, mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference. I learned a ton during my internship at Microsoft. It was a really cool experience. They're well-paid internships, too, which is nice. Went from working like a geek squad at Best Buy, uh, which is which is fun. <laughs> yeah, that helps. Uh, but yeah, but, it, but working at Microsoft, which is more fun. And then ended up staying at Microsoft through the last part of my education and continued there for a year or so afterwards. And then from Microsoft, kind of bounced back and forth between big companies like Microsoft and small companies, small startups. So worked at like Jive Communications back to Adobe is a, like a bigger company, not quite, not quite as big as Microsoft, and then back down to a startup at ObservePoint, and then from ObservePoint, uh, now here at Divi. Yeah, and so how did you get started with Divi? Yeah, so at the time, it was about two and a half years ago, and it was towards the beginning of when Divi really started, so I've been there almost from the beginning. I actually had a co-worker at ObservePoint that, uh, that was working on the engineering team, and he's friends with Blake Murray, the founder of Divi. They grew up in the same area, and so they knew each other from a long time ago. And Blake had reached out and said, hey, I'm looking for engineers. And at the time, I was parting ways with ObservePoint, and it just seemed like a really good fit, really because I I talked to Blake and talked to Alex, the other founder at Divi, 
and the vision that they had and the product that they had in mind was just incredible. Like it just, it it was one of those like, yeah, this this just makes sense. Like, yeah. why hasn't someone done this before? Yeah, we still ask that sometimes. Of like, why hasn't it been done before? But and there's there's good reasons for that. It's it's a it's a difficult problem to solve. It was really intriguing. It was a really exciting opportunity, and so I uh, made the jump to Divi and started there and been there ever since. And it's been been quite the ride. Yeah, Divi's been in the news quite a lot, right? You guys have raised in within a year like three different rounds of funding, which yeah. is insane. <laughs> Tell me about that ride. Oh, man, yeah, it's been crazy. It's funny, too, because I've been at a few different startups, and all of them have been successful in, in some really great ways. But uh, Divi felt different, I think, again, kind of comes back to that idea that it just seemed like this is something that really has has something to it, has something special to it. And all along the way, like in the very early days, we we took kind of a different approach to it where we we didn't follow maybe what most people call like the lean startup method. We actually started out with a bit more in seed funding and things like that. And we built more of the product up front uh, rather than doing it piece by piece and, and putting it out and iterating on it and things like that. We, yeah. we started with a pretty big MVP. And so it took a while to build that. It was like sure. a year, year and a half without really any customers or anything. And I think in a lot of cases that might scare people because it's like that's a lot of build and a lot of money to invest in a product you don't sell or have any customers with. But all along the way, we're all just so confident that this is going to do well. Yeah. And Maybe there's a part of us that might look back and think like that was maybe like arrogant or <laughs> reckless or naive or something. But but sure enough, it, it, the product market fit has been incredible. The second yeah. that we started getting customers, it just grew like wildfire. Um, it, it's been an incredible ride where I think about a year and a half ago, I think we had around like 30 employees. Now we've got between 200 and 250. Wow. And so yeah. even just like in the last year, just explosive growth employee-wise – uh, revenue and, and all those things have been growing like crazy too. It's grown in ways that it, it's obviously very exciting, but but it's fun too because you look at how Divi's grown and it's grown faster than a really exciting, normal, fast-growing startup would. And that also comes with it, the challenge of how do you anticipate the things coming at you that normally happen with growth, but at Divi, they're happening faster. They're coming at us faster than normal. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I imagine with that explosive amount of growth, you're trying to figure out a lot of different things. Maybe you've failed a few times along the way or made some missteps or anything that you regret or that you would have changed about the way that it's happened? Or Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely failings uh, or things that we didn't do as well as we, we should have. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that's great about Divi, though, and the culture that we have there is that we're okay with failing. We're more comfortable with taking really big swings and trying for the home run, even if that means that we're going to strike out sometimes. And we look at that as, okay, we, we made a mistake, we failed or something. Obviously, we want to evaluate why we failed, but we don't really spend too much time on it. We just pick ourselves up and on to the next thing, and next time we're up to plate, we're going to take another big swing. Yeah, and in terms of specific things that I think we would have done differently man, it's gone so fast, it's hard to really look back and say, yeah, that was... Maybe you've identified a problem in the workplace or something and you had to find a solution. One of those things I think would be, we went from having a smaller engineering team where we we just had developers, we didn't have anyone that was specialized in QA specifically or anything. We had a very small platform or DevOps team, everyone calls them differently, but our team was fairly small and all at once, I think in August, a couple of years ago, we more than doubled the team that month alone. Yeah. And so it went from small to then a lot bigger, relatively speaking, at least. And with it, it wasn't just more of the same. We also added in more people with different specialties and things. And we kind of branched out and grew the breadth of talent that we had, too, if that makes sense. 
And we did it so quickly, and I think we did a good job of ramping people up, but what happened is I don't think we got ahead of some of bad habits or anti-patterns that started to develop just in how we developed software and some of the, the processes and practices that we had. Sure. And a specific example of that is our release and QA process. And so before we didn't have QA specialists, if that sure. makes sense. We yeah. did QA. We didn't do QA super well, though, admittedly. And so we we wanted to change that. We wanted to up the quality of our product now that the, we were starting to get customers, right? It was that time when we needed to dial up quality. And so we, we brought in some specialists. And I think, again, we didn't get ahead of some of the patterns that developed or habits that, that people maybe already had from different places they came to. We joke that we operate just in a different speed. That there's Divi speed and then there's normal mm-hmm. speed, right? And I think we try to prep people as they come into Divi that, hey, we move really fast yeah. and things happen really fast. And I think everyone kind of nods their heads and says, yeah, I like fast. I like speed, right? And then they get in there like, holy crap, this is really fast. Mm-hmm. And so um, some of the patterns that developed is that we tried to increase quality but then became kind of beholden to this like too big of an onerous QA process that we were doing too, too much. Too much red tape. Yeah, it was, and it was like we we started to build fences. You know, the developers would develop code, and then they'd huck their code over the fence to the QA team, and then the QA team would test it and huck it back if there were problems. And it got to the point where we were releasing really big chunks of code at a time, and they were sometimes even weeks apart. And it, it just got us away from what we wanted to be doing because before we were, I wouldn't say maybe strictly speaking, continuously delivering, but we were delivering multiple times a day. And we went from that to delivering maybe a couple times a month, which got really scary and it wasn't just from a like productive standpoint, productivity standpoint on the engineering team, but it was our, our customers were suffering as a result too. Sure, yeah. And so we decided to make some pretty aggressive changes where um, I remember uh, kind of talking about it with a few different leaders, getting some input from different engineers on the team as well, especially those that were more vocal and passionate about changing this type of behavior and And after kind of vetting a few different ideas and things like that and kind of coming back to like what the principles are that we wanted to adhere to, because we had tried making tweaks to the process and it didn't really help. (laughs) So we decided, okay, we're going to scrap what we're doing completely and start over. And we're going to start with the principles. And the principles were we want engineers to be more independent and more autonomous. Right. And we want them to deliver code as often as they're ready to do it, regardless of who else is delivering as well, right? So one team can deploy code without even caring what other teams are doing. (laughs) Excellent. And so we just kind of picked the team up, so to speak, and dropped them into this new paradigm and said, this is what we're doing. Here's some of the big changes we're making and some of the new rules, so to speak, that we're making to help kind of enforce this new behavior that we want to see. And there was a lot of buy-in from that, but there was also a lot of like, oh, we're not really set up to do this. Like, we don't have the tooling to do this. Yeah. We don't know all the details of this new process. And it was just sort of like, cool, but we're doing it. So we're just going to have to figure it out, and this is going to force us to figure it out. And, it, and we did. Yeah. Um, and we went from delivering, like I said, maybe a few times a month to now a few times a day again. Yeah, that's a difficult problem to solve, you know, removing those roadblocks and the bottlenecks to delivering, but also a lot just removing developers and QA's fear of pushing code out. And anything that you can do, whether that's feature toggles or any other sort of feature like that to remove that fear and deliver more regularly just makes everything feel so much better in yeah. the dev department. Yeah. No, exactly. That, and, I, and I think like dropping the team into this new paradigm sort of abruptly, right? Like I think mm-hmm. most people would have said like, well, we need to develop the tools first and really like suss out the processes first. We just sort of said, nope, we're here. This is this is what we want. Maybe we need to fill in the details and, and get, the, get the tools or create the tools. 
But it forced us to do that where it went from us saying things like, yeah, if we only we had feature flags and feature toggles and if only we had like more automation and automated tests in more places to then it being, shoot, we need this stuff. So we're going to build it now. We're just going to do it. And it, it's really helped kind of accelerate that. And it's it's a, it's been a fun change. And, awesome. and it's been well received, too. I mean, engineers love oh, yeah. delivering stuff, right? Yeah. They don't yeah. want to have to wait for the release train or whatever it is, right? They want to be able to create something valuable and ship it to customers. And now they can do that. So morale's higher. Things are happening a lot faster. We're delivering a lot more. And what's cool, too, is it might not be obvious that this would be the case, but with more deploys and faster deployments, we actually have much higher quality too. We have much less bug reports and things like that too. So it's it's been good trends in both directions. Yeah, you know, there's like a sweet spot in between like chaos and too much process. And if you can hit that spot, it feels very fulfilling as yeah. as a developer or as a you know product manager. Yeah, I mean that whatever. was going to be my question was you know how do your developers feel about that? I mean especially in in recruiting. You're able to say, hey, we do this continuous delivery process and you can come in and deliver whenever you want. That's got to make it easier than working with some of these companies that, that release just a few times a year. Yep. You know? Yeah. Um, we've had a few engineers come from companies like that, that they, they literally have four releases a year. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. that's it. And they're, they're scheduled. Everyone knows the dates of those, you know, a year out and that type of thing. But yeah, when you, when you share that story of, yeah, you can come in and, and our goal is that new engineers are releasing code to production their first week on the job. Yeah, and that's awesome. just really exciting. Yeah, yeah it, feels, exciting. it feels good to contribute right away. Yeah, as a developer, I mean, I can't speak too highly of autonomy. You know, being able to take an idea and run with it and just know that the company trusts me. And even if I do fail, we have enough process or, or technical features in place to prevent me from doing too much damage. Yeah. You know, and I think that's really fulfilling, being able to just Take your idea and run with it. Mm-hmm. As a dev team, as an individual developer, having that autonomy is awesome. So one of the last questions here, I'm just curious if you ever doubt yourself because you sound very confident here. You guys have been very successful and you've been very successful in your career at some of these different startups. You've worked for big companies. Like, Tell us a little bit more about any doubts that you have and how you overcome those or the fears that you have in, in trying new things and, and working maybe differently than what others try to do. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of like the self-doubt and things like that, I, I would say that I don't think I, I second-guess myself or doubt myself as much anymore. I think I used to do that, and I think that it, it wasn't necessarily warranted, and it was something that I'm happy that I fixed, something that I still want to work on more too. But I think that I've tried to maybe front-load that self-doubt, if that makes sense, that like afford myself like the the second-guessing very early on when I'm sort of brainstorming. So. I think in the past I maybe made decisions too quickly and didn't vet them with other people around me. And so I would I'd kind of get them out there. I'd, I'd, I'd communicate them to the exec team. I'd communicate them to the engineering team, whoever it was. And and then I would be more prone to that second guessing and self-doubt because I don't feel like I, I didn't do enough of that assessing and evaluating up front. Whereas now I've given myself the time to do that and kind of gone through this almost like pre-flight checklist of I'm going to do these different things to make sure this isn't a dumb idea. But then once I've done those things, I've had to tell myself very consciously, like, okay, hey, I know what I'm doing. And not because I'm awesome or because, like, I'm, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's something special about me. It's yeah. more that I've talked to smart people. I've involved yeah. people that know and, and that type of thing. I've, I've done the research and things like that. Um, and I know enough now that I can feel confident in what I'm doing. So yeah. that I think I've been able to kind of erase that self-doubt at least more by, by going through that process. Yeah, that That's being great. able to like approach other people and stuff. It seems like there's a lot of non-technical skills that are really valuable to to have as a CTO. Yes. Yeah. Is there anything in particular that you uh, 
that you think is a good non-technical skill? Yeah, I think that uh, one of the best, especially as like a CTO or an executive, as a, as a tech leader, is to be able to educate. And it has to be, you have to be able to educate a lot of different people or different audiences. Throughout my career as an executive, I haven't worked for a CEO who's also been a software engineer. They've been very non-technical and more from kind of like the sales side or something like that. And so I can't speak to speak with them about code and engineering stuff and them just know. And so there's always been a lot of education that I've needed to do. And it's kind of same back too, right? Like I come from very much more of the technical background. Yeah. So that, that needs, I also need to be able to be educated as well and, and to, learn, to learn quickly about things in the business that I'm not an expert in. Yeah. And to be interested in those things too. I mean, if, if you have aspirations to be a CTO or a tech leader, but you find yourself maybe losing patience trying to teach or educate someone, or you don't really have any interest on what's going on in marketing or sales or whatever, <laughs> maybe that's not the best choice for your career, right? Because right. I think as a, as a CTO, as a tech leader, you have to be able to, to be interested in those things and learn about them, but then you also have to educate and and to educate often in a lot of different ways, educate executives on what's going on in this like technical world that to them just seems like black magic happening, right? right? <laughs> yep. You also have to educate developers and, and other technical people too, because sometimes you'll you'll get up in front of them and say like, hey, we're going to do this thing that probably seems crazy and there's good reason for it, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't really get you much, right? That doesn't get you far. You have to educate them on like, why is this important to the business and to do it in a way that, that gets them to believe yeah. in that too. To really, yeah, to really teach somebody, you have to make sure that you have buy-in. You have to make sure that they understand it in a way that they, they agree. And... Well, it takes a lot of work too, right? Like coming up with the best way to educate somebody or you have to be really well educated yourself in the topic, right? There's going to be a lot of questions coming yeah. back at you. Yep. So, Greg, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Yeah. This has been fantastic. We, we love to hear more about you and Divi and, and the things that you've done in your career. So this has been, this has been really good for us. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. So is there anything that you're passionate about that you'd like to share with the audience or maybe Divi's hiring? Um, what, what would something that you want to plug be? Yeah, so Divi is hiring. We're, we're kind of always hiring. Uh, we're building most of our, our services and things in Elixir, which is still sort of an up-and-coming technology and things like that. There's actually a pretty decent community of Elixir engineers here around Thanksgiving Point and kind of here in Utah in general. But we'd still love to grow that community. We'd love to, to hire people that have the Elixir background, and they're very welcome to come to Divi where maybe they have the desire to work in Elixir and, and to do that as their full-time job instead of like as a hobby or trying to like get their current team to buy into it. But we also love hiring people that have never even heard of Elixir, right, that, that think that maybe it's interesting to learn that that's something we've had to do because there isn't a huge community of Elixir engineers. So I think we've done a good job of bringing people that are interested in trying it and learning it and we bring them in, and now we have, for example, an engineer that came in that never heard of Elixir before the interview process, and now he's speaking at Elixir Conference this fall. So it's really fun wow. to build the community. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being here. We really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.